It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. Today is Sunday, September the 27th, 2020, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell. I hope that you're all staying safe and comfortable wherever you are, and it seems like the weather's starting to get a little milder everywhere, so I hope you're you're doing well, and we'll be keeping you informed and entertained right here. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here to make the show run smoothly as usual, and we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be playing the interview that I recently did with Dr. Kylie Harris in Melbourne, Australia. And Dr. Harris is an independent research psychologist, writer, and activist. And her work is as an independent, um, her work is focused, sorry, upon existential and spiritual emergency and how the experience may appear similar to mental health issues, including psychosis, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And she's also currently working collaboratively with academics, media, politicians, climate activists, and indigenous Australians to help society understand and navigate the current global emergency. So she'll be talking about spiritual emergence and emergency as well as global emergency. And then later we'll go to Bay of Benditas, Mexico, where the twins Minerva and Ruben will join us to discuss another place to travel to in Mexico. And along the way, I'll say a word or two about living a passionate life during this unusual time. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions, no, actually, we won't. I usually say that. But since the <laughs> both guests are um, pre-recorded interviews, you cannot ask them any questions during this program. However... Please feel free to email me any questions, and I will email my guests and then read it back to you the next time we have the show. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. So be sure to ask any questions that you have, and I will be sure to get back to you with the answers. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website and the link to the pod, podcast along with any website links that my guests speak about will be posted later tonight along um, and you can hear the pod, along with the podcast. Um, and you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear the podcast five minutes after the show by going to my page on Apple Podcasts. 
And to listen to previous programs, find out the information from previous programs going all the way back to almost seven years here on Blog Talk Radio, um, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and you can also hear all of those podcasts at blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And Apple Podcasts also has all of the shows going back almost seven years. And for future programs and future events, follow me on Facebook. Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break. Um, don't go anywhere because it'll be very brief. And when we come back, we'll be listening to the interview that I did with um, Dr. Kylie Harris down under in Melbourne, Australia. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, it's recording. Okay, so... Thank you so much, Kylie, for for being on the program. Um, Thank you very much, Mara, for inviting me. How are things down under in Melbourne? Oh, look, you know, I shouldn't complain too much. Um, we, we are in a strict lockdown, but um, our numbers are coming down, and um, I think I'm certainly feeling hopeful at the moment, so not too bad considering. Okay, okay good. Yep, and you're you're in spring at this point, right? Are you going coming from? We are, yes. We're in spring. Um, we will be coming into our next fire season, which I'm not very much looking forward to. Mm. But mm-hmm. let's hope that right. we've learned a few things from the last season, and yeah. what we can do is see what happens, can't we? Yeah, I hope so. That was that was rough last year. It was rough, um, and we see, yeah, the same thing happening in California at the moment, which is really yes. hard to watch, and, and we obviously have a lot of empathy for what's going on um, in California from what we went through last year. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know, we met, how long ago was it? Like a couple months ago, right, on Medium? Yeah. It's been during COVID. Um, yeah. I think there's been a lot of connections made during that time. So, yeah, it's like a couple of months ago. Right. So we both write on Medium. And um, I came across your blog about um, Don't Tell Me to Transmute My Anger, um, (laughs) which really spoke to me in that moment and still does. But at that moment, I was feeling like, 
you know, there are a lot of things going on to be angry about. And a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people who say, oh, you know, just let it go, transmute it, love everyone. And um, I feel like that's sort of a form of gaslighting because it's perfectly normal to feel angry when people are being hurt. Um, so reading your article is very refreshing. Um, maybe, oh, thank you. <laughs> maybe you could talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that it did speak to you because um, right, I sort of wrote that article. It was a bit of a, um, I guess it was a bit of an outlet for me because I was feeling a lot of anger. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was a bit of a controversial thing to write about. Um, and I did get some mixed comments. So I'm glad that it did mm-hmm. strike the chord and for others. Um, I guess, yeah, I agree with what you say. I feel that it is a form of gaslighting because it's it's kind of a form of oppression. It's a form of shutting down what is essentially a very normal and healthy human emotion. Um, I think that the gaslighting comes in, in the form of people not wanting to uh, either be dragged into other people's anger or not wanting to hear what angry voices are saying. Um, it does get weaponized. But for me... The emotion of anger is constructive or can be used constructively in the sense that, you know, it is part of a process of awakening. It's part of a process of uprising. Um, When we're feeling anger, it's it's often because we're feeling a sense of injustice, um, whether it's for ourselves personally or or on more of a collective level. So, you know, I was feeling really angry at that time because the COVID thing was going on and there was such conflicting messages um, about what it was all about and what should be done about it. And... Um, and it was just a really, yeah, complicated and conflicting time, and I think there was a lot of anger, and for me, the way that anger can be used constructively um, is that, um, you know, it can help to mobilise people. If you're feeling angry about something, it can be used constructively as a, as a way to mobilise towards activism and, and more constructive ways of channelling, you know, these... Um, these sort of heavy emotions that you're feeling, channeling them into constructive, um, constructive ways of behaving, constructive ways of, of, of acting and, um, yeah, you know, working productively to try and get mm-hmm. things done, I guess. Um, it, also, you know, the, the sense of, of trying to have anger shut down, um, if you sort of look at things um, in a spiritual way, what that also does is it, and I've seen this happening within sort of, you know, spiritual circles, people who are advocating for, you know, more, um, I guess, whether it's new age or, or even just spiritual people in general. What it does is it sort of, um, it sort of facilitates this process of spiritual bypass. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but it's sort of where you use, you know, you hear that comment like, oh, it's all good, don't be angry. Yeah, transmute your anger into, into something positive. Um, and that's all well and good. And while that might be the ultimate outcome, if you're just hearing constantly people telling you you're not allowed to be angry, it can facilitate this sort of sense of spiritual bypass where um, people are encouraging people to just cling on to spiritual concepts or new age concepts um, and sort of push away the anger. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of this, it's, it's a bypassing yeah, not a technique because, um, I mean, it's not something that I think they're deliberately trying to facilitate, but what it does is it can it can cause people to sort of not deal with the anger, mm-hmm. to push it aside, to, to kind of ignore it and, and suppress it, 
when really we need to be allowing ourselves to sit in the anger to process it because it's, it's the actual act of, of processing the anger and being mindful about the anger and where it's coming from mm-hmm. and, and what it can teach us about what we're feeling, that's when actual transformation takes place. That's how you can actually transmute the anger, which I really don't like that, that word because of, you know, <laughs> because of um, what we're talking about. But that's, that's how it can actually constructively be transmuted is only by allowing yourself to feel it mm-hmm. and not shutting it down in yourself and then not shutting it down in others. So in the article that you read, um, you know, what I suggested was if someone's feeling angry, instead of telling them don't feel angry, you're not allowed to feel angry, maybe ask them why they're feeling angry. And then, and then you'll watch the anger start to melt away mm-hmm. because, you know, I think, I know for me, when, when I feel like it's the anger is not being validated, that just makes me feel even angrier. And so I think that the exactly. best way to actually use it constructively and, and help people to heal from their anger, which of course is the ultimate goal. We don't want anyone to stay stuck in anger, but you've got to validate the anger in order to heal it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and I had mentioned that the introduction before you came on that you are a psychologist, and maybe you can give us a little bit about your background. Yes, so I am a research psychologist, um, and as you said, I, I write on Medium as well. Um, I, I guess I think of myself as an activist as well, which is something that has evolved from the work that I do. Um, my research work is on the topic of spiritual emergency, which essentially refers to to a process of awakening, um, emerging or awakening of consciousness and and the relationship of that process with mental illness. Um, you know, as, as we have constructed mental illness here in the West, because it is very much um, culturally defined. Mm-hmm. So um, for a lot of people, a process of awakening can be accompanied by a lot of difficulty. Um, it's often a traumatic process and it can be it can seem very similar to clinical psychosis, what we understand as clinical psychosis, um, but also other types of mental illness like depression and anxiety, post-traumatic stress. So my research very much stems from my own personal experience and, and I have experienced you know, these, these types of mental illness that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually um, evaded formal diagnoses, interestingly. I think because I have been aware of, you know, this tendency to pathologize these types of experiences. And so, um, yeah, you know, working within that field, it kind of makes you an inherent activist because you're essentially advocating for a community of people who are having experiences that are very much misunderstood and marginalized by mainstream institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is a spiritual emergency or spiritual emergence as how you wrote about it in your article? I did. So uh, the term was first sort of popularized in the 60s um, by Stan Groff and his wife, Christina Groff. They were, um, Stan was a psychiatrist, um, but they were heavily into sort of experimenting with LSD and psychedelic drugs and that sort of thing. And um, so they came up with this sort of this term spiritual emergence which refers to you know more of a gradual natural kind of unfolding of spirituality spiritual ideas and and understandings and sort of awakening of of the conscious mind and you know starting to see things on on different levels being connected with nature realizing the unity of um of people and and animals and nature and all of that and then they sort of um 
they sort of then coined the, the term spiritual emergency as a play on words in relation to this normal unfolding of, um, of spirituality, meaning that um, when the process either become, happens really quickly or happens sort of spontaneously um, in, in a very jerking kind of way um, or just, you know, um, happens in a way that is overly traumatic for a person, it then becomes like a personal emergency, a personal crisis. And the person can find themselves feeling just really overwhelmed. Um, the process can be very chaotic because, you know, these types of experiences for some people are very foreign because we have become so removed from spirituality and from our natural world. Even the word is very stigmatised and um, it, it holds a lot of connotation for people. And so, you know, if someone finds themselves having um, an anomalous experience, an experience that they're not familiar with, that in itself, even if the experience is quite mundane, like it might just be an out-of-body experience, for example, mm -hmm. that can just be very unnerving for people. It can be very much removed from their um, their general perception of the world and they just might not understand what's happening to them. They might feel like they're, you know, in inverted commas, going crazy. Um, they might not feel that they can talk to other people about it for fear of being stigmatised or for fear of um, just not being understood. Even within mainstream mental health, um, you know, these experiences tend to be pathologised. A lot of the criteria for mental illness, um, particularly psychosis, you know, the, the, the major criteria for diagnosing a psychotic illness is hallucinations and delusions. And, and a lot of spiritual experiences can look like that, sure. <laughs> contain these. And so, um, so working within that field, you know, yeah, you, you do work with a lot of people who have had these experiences and they feel like they've been unfairly stigmatised and, and diagnosed with mental illness, whereas really they just wish that they had had a supportive environment in which to be able to have this experience and have someone validate it for them and tell them that it, it's okay, you know, you're not going crazy. This, this is a, a natural, even a healing process, mm -hmm. but it is... It is causing you to feel overwhelmed. Uh, it's feeling it's causing you to feel traumatized. Um, but with the appropriate help and support and and framework within which to understand the experience, people are also reporting that they can come out of it feeling, you know, not just feeling healthy, but feeling transformed and basically um, kind of revolutionized on a on a personal level. Um, and, and I guess that ties into the concept of, you know, not telling, people, tell, not telling people to transmute their anger because it's all about validating the experience mm -hmm. and allowing to go through the process. And so, you know, it's the process that is key to actually facilitating the transformation that these types of experiences can, um, yeah, enable people to achieve. What usually triggers a spiritual... Yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, it's uh, trauma is often um, a, a trigger. Um, mm -hmm. Not always. Sometimes it can happen spontaneously. So um, certain practices like yoga and meditation, for example, which are actually designed to facilitate spiritual awakening. Um, you, you know, the way that we practice them here in the West, they're kind of not honoured as a spiritual tradition anymore. It's you know, you, you go and do yoga and meditation just as a as an exercise or just as a casual activity, um, whereas when these practices were traditionally practiced, you know, it would have been with under the guidance of a guru or a spiritual teacher 
who was aware of the fact that, um, you know, things could be triggered during these processes and they would have the suitable support networks in place to help people understand what was happening. But I guarantee you that the average yoga studio, if someone starts having a kundalini awakening, for example, which is sort of where, you know, the, the energy system within the body can become spontaneously activated. And the person, like people report, you know, having kind of um, seizure-like episodes or, you know, spontaneous jerking and, and, and getting into po like yoga poses spontaneously and, um, and, and all kinds of sort of physiological symptoms like that as well as psychological. Um, I can guarantee you that the average yoga teacher doesn't necessarily know how to deal with something like that. So mm -hmm. they could happen spontaneously in that sense. Um, but very often trauma is a catalyst. So it could be, you know, the, the loss of a loved one, um, a relationship breakdown, uh, the loss of a job, COVID-19. <laughs> when we're pandemic, I would say is a pretty good trigger for, for these kinds of experiences. So... What, because what often happens also is that uh, while tr trauma is often a trigger for an experience, the trauma, the experience in itself will often unearth um, trauma that the individual was, was already holding on to. Mm -hmm. So it will often cause, you know, memories of traumatic events or, um, or just any kind of, you know, childhood trauma, any kind of trauma that is already a part of that person's psychological makeup will start to come to the surface because it is essentially a process of healing and purification, but it's, it's difficult. It's difficult and, and it's often an inconvenient truth for people. And so it often does get pushed aside because we don't consciously want to deal with these things. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I have spoken to some yoga teachers who have had that experience of a kundalini awakening or that feeling right. of just being one with the universe and they describe it as a really wonderful feeling that yeah. sort of they went around for a few days not knowing what to do with it or how they fit into society. Some people end up quitting their jobs because they just don't feel like they fit there anymore. And I guess... Yeah coming into the office of a psychologist um, or a psychiatrist who is not aware of these events, they may end up being medicated or, um, you know, hospitalized even. That's right. Um, because, you know, these, these experiences can be deeply destabilizing. And, you know, within mainstream mental health, um, while, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously well-meaning, um, but the, the primary motivation is often to um, to stop these symptoms, to, to get rid of them, to medicate them away, to put someone in hospital if, if they seem, you know, like really that they can't manage their life and, mm -hmm. and to try and stop the experience. And so what a lot of people are reporting is that while this approach is well-meaning, it's not, you know, it's not purposely abusive, but for the person having the experience, it feels abusive because it feels like, an experience that they might inherently feel is part of a, a process of healing for them and, and they want to be able to experience it with appropriate support. And so having that experience just taken away from them feels really oppressive, it feels really abusive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that you're working on a project where you're talking about spiritual awakening for the whole planet. 
Yes. <laughs> so this is something that has been talked about within, um, I guess, within transpersonal literature and communities for some time now. And so when COVID-19 happened, it kind of threw a lot of us into a tailspin because I guess we kind of been waiting for some kind of event that would, I guess, you know, um, be a signal or, or, or be a kind of an obvious sign that something really big was happening. And so... What has happened for myself and, and others during this time was that we we felt we all of a sudden felt really mobilised and we started connecting with one another and, and talking about like, wow, COVID is like an opportunity, isn't it? Because this is the other thing about spiritual emergency. While it is a crisis, it's also an opportunity. And so, um, you know, those of us in the community who have kind of gone through it personally um, and managed to, to experience that sense of transformation when we then see an experience of crisis, whether it's in another person or like what we've seen with COVID on a global scale, we're, we're able to recognise the crisis, but also recognise that it is an opportunity at the same time. And so, you know, the experience of COVID has been so surreal, um, certainly for me personally and my colleagues, but I think for everyone really, because mm -hmm. it's this period of time where the whole world is undergoing this collective trauma together. And while that obviously is deeply disturbing and it's creating a lot of unrest, there's also so much opportunity in it. And so what we talk about, um, what we've done as part of this project is we've written an open letter um, on behalf of the spiritual emergency community, but, but for, you know, the world really, for, for anyone and everyone who wants to read it and, and join us. Um, and what we talk about is that what we are undergoing in the world is essentially a planetary emergency a global crisis and it's not just COVID you know COVID is, is, is has been a catalyst and it's kind of a symptom I guess of, of a larger emergency that is playing out um, as is the climate emergency as is the racial justice movement they're kind of all symptoms of this collective state of unrest and and chaos really and um what we try to portray in the letter is that, you know, this is an opportunity for all of us to essentially unite um, through collective trauma, um, but with the understanding that this is an opportunity for us to transform. I mean, you know, I think even though there are still deniers, you know, the climate emergency, is, it's, it's here. It's look at California, it's happening. Here in Australia, yeah. it's happening. And so what we try and do in the letter is, kind of unite a number of, of social movements. So, yeah, like as the ones I mentioned, the spiritual emergency, which is already a movement, the climate emergency movement, the racial justice movement, they're all becoming increasingly more um, interlinked. And so that's what those of us who have written the letter have sort of been able to, to recognise that there is this connectedness between all of these movements. And, you know, if we can work collaboratively um, with the understanding that we're working towards the goal of, um, of collective healing and transformation that is, is necessary to kind of revolutionise a system that is fundamentally broken, um, then, you know, there, there's so much power in, in that collective unity that I don't think we're even possible, I don't think it's even possible for us to comprehend at this point what we could potentially achieve. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do with the letter is um, we've linked it to a petition to declare a, a state of planetary emergency um, that we then plan to send to the UN when we've gathered 100,000 signatures.
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a display of, of unity and collaboration and we're inviting anybody and everyone to sign the petition and to essentially join us in, in this collective movement of unity. <laughs> How can people sign the petition or find out what you're doing, you know, find out more yeah. details? So um, we've published the article on my Medium page. So I can be found on Medium at Dr. Kylie Harris. The article is called The Rebirth of People and Planet in a Time of Global Emergency. And so within the article, we've got a link to a petition. Um, the petition is on the petition site. And the petition is Declare a State of Planetary Emergency. So if, I mean, if people are able to find the, the Medium article, which I can give you a link for, um, then there are links within that that can take them straight to the petition. Um, and I can share a friend link so that you don't have to have a Medium account to read the article. You know, we want it to be public. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah, if you can send me the friend link, then I will post yeah. it on my website post about this program after we're on. So people can just go to my website and click on it. That would be amazing. I would read it out, but it's kind of a long link. Okay. <laughs> so that, if you could share it. And, yeah, as I said, you know, it's, it's publicly available. Um, so you can share it around. You can share that link around with all of your friends. And, um, you know, I guess like the work that Greta Thunberg is doing where they're really trying to create this, this in terms of the climate emergency, just create this big movement of declaring an emergency. This goes beyond the climate and it is encompassing all of the crises that we're currently seeing because we see them all as being symptomatic of a global spiritual emergency, essentially. Mm -hmm. So in a, in a couple of minutes that we have left, um, <laughs> can you tell us what My Great Life Choice is? Yeah, so My Great Life Choice, which there is also links included in the letter that we've written because we've gotten a whole bunch of fantastic um, individuals and organizations to sign our letter as a show of support and unity. And so I, there is a, a link on the letter um, under the signature section to My Great Life Choice. And I feel excited about this project because um, A, it comes out of Australia. Um, and so what the project is about in a nutshell is it looks at the, um, the concept of the wheel of life of, you know, the circle of life, the wheel of life. It's kind of a life coaching tool that people can use to um, achieve balance in their lives. Um, you know, the idea being that there are different aspects of our life, you know, finance, career, relationships, spirituality, for example. And they, they all form, you know, kind of the wheel of, of who we are. And if we focus predominantly on one or a couple, well, then the others are going to become unbalanced and... So what we really need to be doing is addressing all of the different aspects of our life in order to become balanced and whole. So that's certain in, the, in a nutshell what the program is about. Um, but what, I, what is really exciting about it is that not only is it a program that can help people to achieve balance and healing in their own life personally, the, the majority of the proceeds from, um, from the program are going towards humanitarian projects and most of these are Indigenous-based. Um, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of projects um, that, the, that the owner, that the CEO has, has written up. He's really a humanitarian. He's written up all these humanitarian projects and 
and once the program sort of gets underway, he plans to dedicate something like 80% of the proceeds to setting up these humanitarian projects that are really designed to heal the planet. So they're going to be really environmental-based um, projects, largely guided by Indigenous people from not just Australia, but from around the world. And, you know, they'll be essentially things like reconnecting Indigenous people with their native lands and then teaching the rest of us how to live in a sustainable way because we have just become so disconnected from what a lot of Indigenous cultures understand is an innate relationship between ourselves and our natural world. And, you know, because we've become so detached from that, that's really part of what has created this, this state of collective crisis that we're in because, you know, without the recognition of that essential relationship between ourselves and, and nature, well, we do become sick, we become unbalanced, we've poured too much energy into capitalism and, and things that take us away from, from that connection and, you know, what should be a loving relationship with the planet. Mm-hmm. And we've treated the planet, we've abused the planet and, and we've all become sick as a consequence. And so what these projects are designed to do is to help us reconnect and re-establish our relationship with the planet and with nature so that not only can we start to heal the planet by, you know, starting to engage in more sustainable practices and, and ways of living, but we will also become healthier as a result because it's just that symbiotic process of living in harmony. And this is what a lot of Indigenous cultures understand that we don't understand, that we really need to be looking to them for guidance to to teach us. Yeah. So that's what I find exciting about the, the Great Life Choice Project is, is what can come out of it, not only for individuals, but for all of us collectively. Mm-hmm. So I'll post that plan. link on, on my website as well. So people can just Thank go to my website. Thank you. And yeah, yeah it's just it's a really authentic Australian based program that is genuinely coming from, you know, a really good place of, of trying to facilitate collective yeah. healing. That's great. That's great. So is before we go, is there are there any other links where people should go to see things that you're doing or is it mainly your medium link uh look the medium link is probably the major one at the moment um i am on twitter also dr kylie harris um i'm usually on facebook but i've had a bit of a glitch and my account has been deactivated i'm trying to sort that out so i'll be back on facebook um, at some point um i'm also an ambassador of hope for another humanitarian project called wall of books so it's Wall O Books. And that is um, it's this beautiful program that originated in India. And it's, um, it's designed to create sort of sh- like little storybooks for um, children who are living in vulnerable populations and conflict zones. Um, and, you know, any kind of sort of rural, remote populations where children don't have access to a lot of books. And so what the program is about is about connecting children from around the world in this way so that, you know, they can see what other children in, in really different parts of the world are doing. And so that children sort of create their own stories with the help of adults. And um, there are just beautiful messages in the stories, that are, yeah, again, about collective healing and the unity. So and is that, wa- that wallobooks.com? Uh, wallobooks. Where? Let me just grab it for a minute. Wallobooks.org. .org. Okay. So I'll post that as well. 
Oh, thank you. That would be wonderful. Yeah, these projects that are all about, basically about facilitating collective healing and unity is what I'm really focusing on these days. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, for being on the program. Um, I really enjoyed this, and we'll have to stay in touch and have you back on again in the future so you can let us know how things are going. Oh, thank you, Mara. That would be amazing. Hopefully when we get to 100,000 signatures, we can, we can catch up again and I can let you know how that Actually, goes. Absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good day. Well, we have a good night. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. All Take right. care, all of you out there. All right. Bye-bye now. Thank you. So all of those links that we talked about are already on my website post about the show. So you can just go to drmaricorpel.com and look for uh, the post about the show, and all of that will be there. And we're going to take a very brief break, and then we'll be right back. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricorpel.com. And we're back. That was a really brief break. <laughs> um, if you just joined us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And before we go to listen to the twins in Bay of Banderas, Mexico, um, I just wanted to say a few words about passion um, and reconnecting to passion in this difficult time. And, um, you know, I was thinking about passion and what it means. I've been asked this question a lot. And it, and as I mentioned, I believe last time, it's kind of evolved um, from doing what you really love to do to having um, something that you love to do that you know is serving a greater purpose. And it's helping other people. And I think that right now, I mean, I know right now what our passion um, looks like in terms of what's possible to do looks very different right now um, than in other times and before this pandemic hit. And um, I think we need to use that. We need to be aware of that and not try to make believe it isn't there and ignore it. Um, things are different, and we can use that in a way to come up with um, a different path to take to achieve our passion. So what, um, you know, I think what that looks like is, is thinking about what we can do right now, what each of us can do right now to help other people in this situation. And so it may take us down a long road that will take us on another path of passion when this is, when, you know, when this pandemic is all over and um, things get back to a more normal, quote unquote, way of living. Um, or, or it may be a temporary um, way of express passion. Um, it doesn't have to be a whole life change. It doesn't have to be a change in your career or, or any of that, um, but it can be. It can lead to some bigger and better things. But at this moment, if rather than um, just 
crying about the fact that you can't do what you really wanted to do, um, if you had a, a focus and a goal that you wanted to achieve and it's just not possible with the way things are right now, having a socially distanced and a lot of things closed down, a lot of musicians are not able to perform in public. Um, so rather than looking at that as a negative how can we turn that into something? What can you do right now to help people who are struggling in this time? If you have the fortune of not struggling, where you have the time and energy to actually start considering what is my passion, how am I going to achieve it? If you're in that place where you're wondering what your passion is, then you're already um, a, you know, in a situation where you can help other people. And so thinking about what gifts you have that you can um, use to help other people, um, whether it's performing online or, you know, if you're a musician, for example, or if you're really good at you know, listening to other people's problems. There, there are a lot of volunteer groups right now um, providing support for people who are really struggling, um, volunteering at a food bank. Um, all, of, all of the ways, there are so many ways that we all can be of service to help other people who are really struggling, whether it's financially struggling or um, they've lost their home in a fire uh, with all of the fires burning, or they've lost family members to this virus, all of the, or they're socially isolated because of the social distancing. I mean, there are so many different aspects of what's going on right now. I mean, there are so many things going on at the same time that we can actually use this time to consider what, can I do to help other people? And it may be, you know, volunteering online, making phone calls, um, donating if you are financially able to, to, to organizations that help people on the ground. Um, this might be your passion. This might turn into your passion. You know, I think that when you are doing something that feels like you are doing something of purpose for other people, then it creates a passion. I mean, there's such a, such a wonderful feeling that comes about when you know that you're helping other people. And so I think this is really a time, as I said, where to think about what you can do to help other people. And that will help you to reconnect to passion, to that feeling of passion. So, you know, I was thinking about um, uh, the feeling that I have um, during this time when people are complaining about things that are really pretty minor and they're not at all related to what's happening in the world, and I and I was thinking, you know, what what is that about? What is it that I'm feeling when I hear people talk about that? And and it the word that comes to mind is disoriented. So it's almost like 
we're living on a separate planet. And that could be if somebody's talking about a minor problem or it could be somebody who is talking about, you know, all their dreams and following their dreams and all the things that they're doing to follow their dreams when they're not doing something in the process to help other people who are going through a struggle. Um, It feels disorienting. It feels disconnected. Um, Right now, I think more than ever, it's really obvious that we are all connected. So we need to really be aware of that connection and, and be part of the solution to the issues that are going on. So I think that that's really all I'm going to say about this. Um, it just sort of came to mind as I was, you know, thinking about today's show and I was reading some blogs that people had written that um, when we are connected, when we feel that connection with other people and we know that we are part of their um helping them, the solution to help them, then that's when we connect to our passion, especially at a time like this where it's really needed. Okay. So on that note, we're going to go to some music by Art Mendoza, our producer, um, about Mexico. And then we're going to go to our interview with Minerva and Ruben in Bay of Banderas, Mexico, to talk about another travel spot during this time.
on our next destination, Mazatlan? Yes, the Mazatlan is a city in the Mexican state of Sinaloa. It's the second largest city of the state with over 500,000 people. Mazatlan leads directly across the most <coughs> southern point in the peninsula of Baja California. Mazatlan is a Nahuatl Indian word meaning place of fear and was founded in yeah, 1531. By the mid-19th century, a large group of immigrants arrived from Germany and together with the hard work of natives, they were able to develop Mazatlan into a thriving commercial seaport. Mazatlan was visited by film stars such as John Wayne, Gary Cooper, John Houston, and others of the generation for sport fishing. The Malecon Boardwalk of Mazatlan is to be considered one of the largest in the world. Its length is about 8.5 kilometers along the Pacific coast. Along the Malecon are high cliffs, monuments, gatebooks, old buildings, and hotels. Since its opening on September 13, 1980, Mazatlan Aquarium has been one of the most complete and best of its kind in Latin America, besides being the largest in Mexico. According to the institution, the primary objective in the public to learn to, re to respect the marine ecosystem to which we depend on. And we foster this through knowledge of marine species. Fishes in Mazatlan are mostly seafood. Food specialties include ceviches, cocktails, arandeado fish, and aguachile. Other common and prominent foods are smoked marlin and tuna, chilorio, verde tamales, made with shrimp, <laughs> governor tacos, fish crackers, and Sinaloa style, grilled roasted chicken. Typical sweets include coconut candies, jamoncillos, and other candy made with coconut marshmallows from the region. There is so much to explore here from the many beaches like Ola Santas, Norte Beach, Sabalo Beach, Cerritos Beach, and Isla de la Piedra Beach. And the many historical places there are throughout the city. The weather is very similar to Bayas Bandera, but just a little cooler at night. That all sounds amazing. Can't wait for your next report. Stay safe, guys. See you in Acapulco. Adios. Adios. All right. That was Minerva and Ruben talking about Mazatlan, and they made me very hungry. 
So we're going to end the show soon so I can go eat. <laughs> um, next Sunday, October 4th, we'll be back with another live show from here in Austin, Texas, and we'll be joined by social worker and coordinator of gender responsive services and family engagement of the uh, juvenile justice system in St. Louis, Clelia Scafia. Scafia. Um, she is a social worker, and her focus is on improving opportunities and conditions of youth, youth involved in or at risk for involvement in, in the juvenile justice system. And she is going to talk about what being gender responsive means within the juvenile justice system. And also, Frank Claudio Emanuel joins us to discuss diversity and inclusion in the workplace, some best practices and policies. And we always have more. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show, get all of the website links that we talked about, listen to previous programs, read my blog, all of that, go to my website, drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blogtalkradio.com, B-L-O-G, talkradio.slash, your golden years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for any upcoming events and to learn about upcoming shows and all of that. Uh, blogs that post, you know, you'll see them all on my Facebook page. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guests, Dr. Kylie Harris, Minerva and Ruben in Mexico, and of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe and happy New Year. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 